Welcome into Hockey Mountain High, your go-to Avalanche podcast presented by Superbook Sports. JJ Jerez, Arif Dean here. We got to break down the Alex Newhook trade, right? Just got moved from the Colorado Colorado Avalanche. As a lot of you know, uh, Alex Newhook came into the organization as a highly touted prospect. Um, at one point was expected to play a big role in the team's future. However, you know, the Avalanche made the decision to move him to Montreal in a package deal that's bringing... Uh, a player and a couple draft picks, but meaningful draft picks at that era. Yeah, the 31st and the 37th overall picks. Uh, I feel like when you're this close to the NHL draft, saying a first and a second, that doesn't matter anymore. It's 31 and 37. 31 is obviously the Florida Panthers pick. That's the one Montreal got in the Ben Sherratt trade. And 37 is their very own second rounder. So that's the one that's obviously the fifth best pick in the second round. So two very big pieces because now the Avalanche, suddenly go from maybe they need to trade their first rounder for a second line center to getting a second line center without trading their first rounder and adding 31 and 37 to their first rounder, which is obviously 27. So quite a bit of draft capital there at, at a decent spot for the avalanche. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I, I guess let's start off before we get into the players, the avalanche or the player, the avalanche are receiving and the potential draft picks, I guess. Let's let's look at Alex Newhook and I guess just what it means for the avalanche roster right now. Right. And as I kind of mentioned, he was supposed to be a big part of the future. And you and I both kind of had him slotted in for this season, despite him being an unrestricted or a restricted free agent. Excuse me. So obviously the team felt it was time to move on from a guy like yeah. Alex Newhook. Yeah. So I remember back, you know, we're, we're almost at two months since the game seven loss. And I remember those first couple of weeks, I said it a lot. I said, I don't think that Alex Newhook's going to come back. And I kept mentioning that the only person remaining in the bottom six is going to be Logan O'Connor. And then we'll see on Helm and Cogliano. Cause I felt comfort wasn't going to be back. I felt obviously Lars Eller, Matt Nieto and uh, Alex Newhook. My opinion changed when the Gabe Landeskog news came out because that hadn't been a thing yet. And I said, you know what, if they're not going to have Landeskog, that obviously opens up seven more million dollars and maybe they're going to keep Newhook around for another year. But now the way that I see it is, number one, this team has bigger plans for how they want to build their bottom six. And number two, obviously, this is the big thing. You and I, you know, we wrote the our, our instant reactions as soon as the trade broke down. Alex Newhook didn't do anything wrong. The one thing he did do wrong was he didn't break out into an NHL star at the age of 21. And that's just so unfair to say it that way because not everybody breaks out at that age. Not everybody should be a top six forward at that age. But that's the only thing he did wrong, if you want to call it wrong, for him to stay in Denver. Uh, the Avalanche could not go into another season with Newhook as the two seat. And obviously... They bring in Ryan Johansson. So then there was a question mark. Would they go into the new season with Newhook at the second line left winger? Of course not. That just sounds silly. So what good does Alex Newhook do in your bottom six? You know, that's where he won the Stanley Cup. But is he going to be as productive as going out and getting somebody who can play a more grinder type role? I don't think so. And I think the team knew that too. So they were kind of at this crossroads in my mind where... You know, we can continue to play this the way it is and let it play out. And then we end up with another Tyson Jost because, you know, not because Newhook is as good or not as good as Tyson Jost was, but because we can't afford to play him in the top six. We are ready to win now. We just can't do that. 
So you're going to end up with this guy in the bottom six. He's never really going to develop because he's not really going to get that opportunity again like he did last season and didn't grab a hold of it. And then you're going to end up like someone like Tyson Jost where you trade him for a pending UFA third, fourth liner and Nico Sturm. And I just think they looked at that. They looked at the fact that they need to rebuild this bottom six. They need to bring in players that they feel fit a certain type of guy that I don't think Newhook fits. The one place this went wrong for Newhook in Denver is the 2022-23 season. He had one chance to grab that second-line center spot in one season and couldn't do it. And unfortunately, it's a tough business. The Avalanche had to make that decision to move on. I like that comparison to Tyson Jost. There's a lot of parallels there, and they learned their lesson on that one, right? And didn't want to see that happen all over again and, and cut the cord early maybe not as early as some people might have liked I, I don't know some people wanted him out of town at the trade deadline or maybe even last off season, seeing that you know it, there was a good chance he wasn't going to reach the full expectations we have for him so early but um it, it's tough to see the guys that were part of the cup team leave right not yeah. only that alex newhook was a well-liked guy i liked him he's good to talk to and you know he, he was i would just chat with him off the record a lot you know, about his equipment or just about the game in general and and he was always pleasant and because of that i always felt like you know because of, i liked him and because he's a well-liked guy it had me holding on to hope for him it had me believing that oh man one day he is gonna make this step he has some scoring ability in there but like you said that the abs kind of felt like it was it was now or never to really get the value out of him and who knows where the ceiling's actually going to be for them. They need somebody who's going to be able to produce now. So, um, yeah, tough to see a guy like that go. But, of course, you, as we've said before on this podcast, you got to break some eggs to make an omelet. And Avza are just cracking a few eggs right now. Yeah, and, and, and look, this is not an attack on Tyson Jost going back to that parallel. I think Newhook is going to be a, a good player. I genuinely think he's going to be a 50, 60, maybe 70, 80 point guy. I think he's going to have that opportunity in Montreal to make mistakes and stay in the top six, play in the play on the top line at times. Like he's going to have some fun things that he can do in Montreal that, you know, is a team in a different part of where their rebuild is compared to an avalanche team contending for the cup. So that's number one. Number two, in terms of guys that won the Stanley Cup walking away, look, you and I are recording this this podcast it's june 27th it's nine o'clock p.m the avs won the cup 366 days ago and let me see if i can go over this off the top of my head from the second line landiscog is missing obviously part of the team kind of Kadri's missing from the third line burakovsky and abe kubel both shared that spot along with new hook and comfort who we expect to move on and then on the third line helm and cogliano two question marks helm a bigger question mark than cogliano and logan o'connor who's still around so you have your entire top line on the second line, you have Nachushkin, and on the fourth line, you have Logan O'Connor. That's it. Like that's all from the forwards, obviously, not the defense. And the defense, it's Eric Johnson, and you know, we'll we'll see there. But the big thing that I take away from this, and and I, I honestly, we've done so many podcasts recently, and I've done so many radio hits. I don't remember where I've said what, so I'm going to say it anyway. I may have said it when we did the episode with JJ, or sorry, with Jesse. Is um, you can't fall in love with the guys you win the cup with. We saw the LA Kings make that mistake and it cost Dean Lombardi his job. He, you know, eventually had to finagle himself out of the Mike Richards contract with whatever the hell was going on there at a border in Canada and the US and signed a lot of guys to long-term deals. And you just, you can't in a salary cap world fall in love and have that emotional 
connection with players where you just feel like everybody needs a long-term deal. Like they gave Marion Gabrick like a seven-year deal at like 31 years old, whatever the hell it was. Um, so I think Joe Sackick and Chris McFarland, it's a tough business and they understand that. And this Alex Newhook trade, not to go off topic and not to like let it go off the rails, but this makes me feel more and more like Pavel Francouz. You know, I've been saying it for a few weeks now. The Avalanche missed him the entire 2021 season. In 2022, he was the backup and stepped up. In 2023, once again, missed a ton of games. It's a tough business. And they might look at him and say, hey, thank you for sweeping the Edmonton Oilers. We need someone that we can rely on. Georgie can't play 60 games again. And I love the fact that this front office, Joe Sackick and Chris McFarlane and the rest of the guys around there are not falling in love with their guys enough where they just have to keep everybody. They know it's a tough business. They know there are tough decisions to me to be made. They saw the avalanche kind of get skated up and down the ice by the depth of the, uh, of the Seattle Kraken. They saw them lacking size while they went out and got Ryan Johansson, six foot three, 218 pounds. Their third line, you know, Dennis Malgin's an RFA. If he even gets qualified, that's a smaller forward too. Are they going to want to go with him or are they going to want to go somewhere else? It just seems like they've, you know, and obviously Malgin wasn't on the cup winning team, but they didn't fall in love with that cup winning team. Decisions needed to be made. It started with the Nazem Kadri decision, because if you remember last year, there were rumors, maybe the Avalanche trade JT Comfer or Sam Gerrard and give Kadri what he wanted. And, you know, that's a conversation and an argument for a different day if the Avalanche should have given Kadri seven times seven. But they knew from the onset they had to make those tough decisions. It started with Nazem Kadri. Darcy Kemper was another big one. And it's continued here with this new hook trade. And it's, it's got to be bittersweet for Alex Newhook, right? On one hand, you're going to Montreal where you're going to get more opportunity, more playing time, and maybe be a part of a, a growing and developing team. On the, on the other hand, you're walking away from a potential Stanley Cup contender and, and obviously was a lot closer to winning a cup here in Colorado than he will be in Montreal. So, yeah. um, you know, it, it, it's hopefully for him, he's taking it well and just saying, hey, look, I got opportunity. What was in the past was great and um, I'll always cherish it, but, you know, t- time to grow. Yeah, so you remember last year where I made that comparison to Tyler Sagan, who had yep. like a slower rookie this year, off, won last the Stanley season, Cup, right? Yeah, yeah, lost off season. Well, I'm gonna do it again for a different reason. Tyler Sagan, I'm sure, was bittersweet to leave the Boston Bruins. Different kind of exit. There was a lot of weird murmurs about him, like being late to a practice. Like Newhook didn't have any of that. Uh, obviously, Tyler Sagan had one decent season before he was traded, 67 points in 81 games. Um, but the reality is. Sagan went to the Dallas Stars and became the guy. I don't think Newhook is going to be the guy in Montreal. Nick Suzuki's there. Kirby Doc is there. But you got drafted by this team as a high pick. You won a Stanley Cup. You learned from some pretty cool guys to play with. The same way that Tyler Sagan got to play with Bergeron and Marshawn and Zdeno Chara and Tim Thomas. Learned from all these guys. And now... It's time to go to my new team and kind of spread my wings and, and and develop into the guy that I could be that, you know, eventually became the Tyler Sagan we know and love in Dallas. So, again, not the same type of career, but in the sense of bittersweetness, I think that that's someone you can relate him to. Even someone like, hell, Andre Burakovsky with the Capitals. I know he was there a little bit longer, but someone that won the cup there as a depth role player 
and then was traded to the Avalanche to kind of spread his wings and fly and become a top six winger to then go to Seattle. And now he's like their top line option. So, you know, it, it is bittersweet and and it's tough to leave, especially when you build a bond that this team had built. You know, Newhook and Bo and Byron were friends before they got here. Bo, I would assume, is going to get a new deal and stick around. Um, but I think this is good for Newhook. I honestly do. I think he's going to do really well. How are you going to remember Alex Duhook when you look back and his career's over, your career's over, and we think about his time with the Avalanche? What were the strengths you would say he he brought to this team? Uh, he was mature beyond his years, and he is. like He's mature well beyond his years, and maybe it's that locker room that we're talking about, that Avalanche dressing room, the core, the leaders on that team. But mature beyond his years, a hell of a great teammate, uh, leadership material. You know, how often do we talk about the Avalanche love to draft and, and acquire captains? That's a guy that co captained Team Canada at the time uh, when he was in the World Juniors with Bowen Byram. Um, that's, that's what I see him as speedy winger that showed flashes of brilliance that never quite reached that full potential. Um, but I'm also always going to have this feeling of what if. And the what if isn't, you know, if they held on to Newhook. And, and and again, like, I can't stress this enough. I genuinely think Newhook will become a great player someday. And I don't think it's fair to look back in three years and be like, ah, Newhook's putting up 60 points in Montreal. Colorado should have kept him. Like, right now, in this moment, we understand why the trade was made and we shouldn't forget about that. The what if for me is last year. Had the Avalanche had a proper offseason where everybody was healthy, and Newhook got to be the second line center playing between a healthy Valeri Nichushkin and a healthy and available Gabriel Landeskog, where would his career be? Because he didn't get that opportunity. He got Val for seven games and Martin Kaut on the other side, sometimes Evan Rodriguez, then JT Comfort came in and he was center, then he was wing, then there was like a sample rant. Like it was just a whole bunch of shit that just like he didn't get a chance, man. And then by the time the Avalanche started to get a little bit of uh, uh, of consistency in their lineup, it was time to make that chase. And JT Compers, our second line center, we know we can trust him there. Uh, sorry, Alex, we don't have time to give you another opportunity. We just lost to the Chicago Blackhawks in, in January, and we are out of the playoffs. So that's my big what if. If the Avalanche entered the 22-23 season healthy and Newhook got to be the center between a healthy Val and an available and healthy Landeskog, where would he be? It's an interesting thought for sure, because, you know, even towards the end of the season, he, you know, wasn't really able to make the impact that we all wanted from him and never really was able to work his way up the lineup. But it's hard to do that with limited opportunity. And if he could have not found himself in that position in the first place and maybe shined with the, you know, the hypothetical names that you mentioned, it could have been a completely different story. But it is what it is. And uh, Avalanche are moving on from Alex Newhook. Yeah. See you later. And, yeah. I mean, look, it's it's hard to kind of break down trades where there isn't a body coming back. It's been a while, man. It's been a while since the Avalanche are the one giving up a player for draft picks. Uh, but can you judge this trade? You know, we just did as much judging as we can, but the true value of this trade will be felt over the next few weeks or a couple months or whatever, however long it takes to rebuild this roster and, and get all the pieces in order where it's going to start to make sense. Cause it can go one of two ways. This could directly lead to the number one, number 31 and 37, or one of the 31 or 37 picks uh, ending up being used as trade pieces to bring somebody in like literally Wednesday, by the time you guys are listening to this first round, of the NHL draft, maybe the apps trade one of those guys for a forward and, and it makes sense. 
Or maybe they use those draft picks, replenish their prospect pool, 31 and 37, as well as the 27th pick that Colorado already has. Like those are very close to where they drafted Justin Barron and Drew Hellison. And those were guys that they used to get Lekkonen and, and Manson. So, you know, maybe they just replenish that and then free agency starts and they go out and sign different kinds of guys. I don't know. Let's, let's, you know, Jonathan Taves, maybe Michael Bunting. Uh, maybe they bring in another guy and like they, they kind of rebuild the third line where you're like, okay, now I get why New Hook didn't fit into this plan. So there's a couple different ways to look at it. Also, something to keep in keep an eye on is what is New Hook going to get from Montreal? Because if New Hook signs like as simple as this, and he deserves this given the amount of points he had. Like remember when Andre Burakovsky came to the Avs, three straight seasons of 12 goals, and I believe only one of those seasons he had over 30 points. The Avalanche gave him a two-year deal. I want to say at 3.25 million. So let's just. Right off the bat, Montreal signs Alex Newhook to a two-year bridge deal worth $6 million. So $3 million AAV. Right away, you see that. You're like, okay, that makes sense. You cannot have Newhook making $3 million on the third line. You don't have the cap for that. If Newhook signs for two years, $1.5 per year, then you're kind of like, eh, maybe we should have saved room for him. So depending on what Newhook gets, depending on what Byram signs for, Maybe, maybe now that they don't have to give new hook money, they go out and sign somebody for league minimum or somebody close to it to play in that spot and then go around and instead of giving Bo and Byram a, a bridge deal, they take advantage of the Landeskog LTIR and be like, fuck it, let's just lock up Bo from now. Let's just give him whatever, six, seven, however many million dollars and try to get him locked up for five, six, seven or eight years. So the true judgments of this deal aren't going to make sense until we see where it goes from here. But there is just, as you just heard me blab, like just a variety of options at Chris McFarland's disposal right now. Well, and everybody's getting a pay upgrade too. So good, good <laughs> on everybody, right? Yeah. That's, that's what you want to see, I guess. And, and guys that you like and guys that you root for. Um, yeah. I mean, you, you kind of talked a little bit about the, the, the draft picks coming back and it's kind of interesting that they have all three of those picks within what 11 picks of each other yeah um so you know they probably have a, a solid list of you know 20 guys and good chance they're gonna land three of them so um yeah but who knows like you said they might move it too so a, a lot can still play out but and of course it's always going to be too early to tell on draft picks anyway uh, but we'll break the we'll break down the draft picks later on this week i guess a, any thoughts on gianni fairbrother is is there any <laughs> I... is there anything that uh is nhl caliber in that name I I've not done any research on him and I, I, I keep forgetting to mention him in the trade. That's how little bit I know about him. So I'm not going to pretend, but I'll just make the same joke. I made over text message. Gianni makes this a fair trade brother. So uh, we'll see. I'll look into him. I'll see what, I'll see what he's got because Hey, just by adding him, that means the avalanche might see something in him or it means Montreal might be at the 50, 50 contract limit. Like there's, there's a whole bunch of reasons why he could have been added. Um, but we'll see. I do think something to keep an eye on with this new hook trade to go back to what I was saying about maybe they're going to give a, a league minimum player more of a more of an opportunity now that they have that roster space for him is Frederick Olofsson that they got from the Dallas Stars a couple weeks ago. So uh, maybe that guy making 775K is now going to get a fourth line winger spot and the opportunity to be a, a third liner, you know, if he if he develops and shows that he can give you 10, 15 goals or whatever because Alex Newhook isn't there. Olofsson, I want to say, is a little bit older. So, like, this isn't by any means a prospect. So, um, you know, that's just one example of where this could go. But in terms of Gianni Fairbrother, I I got zero on him mm -hmm. on June 27th. It's 
been fun to kind of see how the dominoes fall, right? Kind of Pierre-Luc Dubois being that main first domino to fall. And then yeah. uh, he goes to L.A. That's when suddenly Montreal's shopping and, and uh, signing other players. So I guess now that we're here, what other ripple effects do you think can come out of this trade, mostly from an avalanche perspective here? Um, so real quick, Johnny Fairbrother, defenseman, six foot, 200 pounds. He played 25 AHL games last season. He had one goal, six assists. So that's, that's about the extent of what I know he was drafted in 2019. So the same draft as Alex Newhook and Bowen Byram, uh, but he was taken in the third round, 77th overall. So that's all we got on him. Going back to your question, the Pierre-Luc Dubois trade is interesting because it wasn't entirely official yet when the Newhook trade broke, um, but it was in the process of like bits and pieces of the deal were kind of starting to come out. Uh, and the reality is the Montreal Canadiens, obviously they were linked to PLD for a very long time. As soon as they made that new hook trade, you knew that that meant they were out of the PLD race and they knew they were out of it, but good for the Winnipeg jets to get what they got back from the Kings. But when I look at that deal, I look at, you know, I, I tweeted this a little bit earlier, but the LA Kings, they still need to clear cap space. They need, to fill, I want to say five or six roster players as in forwards or defensemen and a starting goalie. The only goalie they have under contract is Phoenix Copley. Obviously, Jonas Corposalo is a UFA. They have four and a half million to fill all those spots. So even if they bring in some rookies making entry level deals, you know, it's still going to eat up the four and a half million. And that doesn't even include the fact that a starting goalie is going to cost you a couple dollars. So you look at the LA Kings and you see a team that needs to clear more cap space. And this is something I tweeted earlier today. It's something I was talking to you about over the weekend. There is a winger on the LA Kings that I don't know if they want to give him up. They've obviously already given up. I follow, but they have Andre Kopitar, PLD, Kevin, du Kevin Fiala, uh, Philip Deno, Adrian Kempe, Trevor Moore. These are guys that are all locked up except for Kopitar, but you know, he's a lifer. These are guys that are all locked up for multi-year deals that are going to be around for a while. They have Lizotte, Grunstrom, uh, Byfield, and Kaliev, both one year away from contract expiration, RFA. And then they have one forward outside of Kopitar. Again, he's a UFA next summer, but that's a lifer guy. They have one other forward who's a UFA next summer. He's making $4.25 It's a winger that can play on both sides. It's Victor Arvidsson. And it makes the world of sense that if the LA Kings, who've already shed a lot of money off of their decor who've, and, and contracts and players, who've already shed a goaltender in Cal Peterson that just wasn't going to fit with this roster, and have now have already shed, you know, they, they had to give away some good players in the trade to Winnipeg, one of them being Alex Ayafalo, who makes $4 million. If they want to clear cap space, if they can't find a finder, uh, for Trevor Moore, who's got four more years left at 4.2. Trading Victor Arvidsson and his $4.25 million might be the way to go. And the reason why that name sticks out to me is because in Nashville, Arvidsson, Johansson, and Philip Forsberg were a dynamite line. They were fantastic together. Johansson was the playmaker. Forsberg and Arvidsson were the goal scorers. I I really think of how cool it would be to have Arvidsson and Johansson playing with Val Nachushkin instead of Philip Forsberg, how much that would mean for both those guys and how much it could help rejuvenate Ryan Johansson's career. And Victor Arvidsson hasn't really been the same Arvidsson since he left Nashville, whether it's injuries or just finding his fit with the LA Kings. So, you know, there could be a chance that they just 
didn't see a good fit there for him and are willing to move him. And it'd be nice because Victor Arvidsson, if you've listened to this podcast for a while, you know, I, I think very highly of him because mainly of what I've seen him do against the avalanche. He's just one of those guys that's a known abs killer and feels like every time they're up against Victor Arvidsson, he's, he's scoring at least one goal. Um, yeah. And getting some assists on, on the abs. So uh, I would love to see that. That'd be great. And it'd be great to see him reunited with Ryan Johansson. That'd be awesome. Yeah, that three-year stretch that we talked about on the episode with Jesse, 2017, 2018, 19, and 2019, those three years where the National Predators were just a great team. Arvidsson had 31 goals in 80 games, then 29 and 78, and then 2018, 19, 34 goals in 58 games. That's a 50-goal pace. He did dip. In 2020, he only had 15 goals in 57 games, and in 2021, 10 in 50 games. Those are both with Nashville. Since he's gotten to L.A., um, he hasn't been the Arvidsson of 2017, 18, 19, but he has rebounded well. He had 20 goals and 49 points in 66 games last year, 2022. And this last season that just ended 26 goals, 59 points in 77 games, putting him back with Ryan Johansson. I think we'll get him back up over 30 for the first time since 2019. And again, it would help Ryan Johansson and rejuvenate his career too. Victor Arvidsson is such a great, he's such a great player, man. He's a great scorer. What I love about him is he also gives you the same element that you get from Miko Rantanen, Val Nachushkin, Arturi Lekin, and hell, even Gabe Landeskog. He can play both wings. Landeskog doesn't play the off wing a lot, but he does do it. Miko Rantanen does it all the time. Arturi Lekin is doing it right now if he's the left winger on the top line. And when Arturi goes to the left wing on the top line, Val usually goes to the right wing on the third li- on the second line. So he plays his off wing. Victor can do that too. So it just gives you a lot more flexibility to move these guys around when you have that ability to do that. Yeah, could be fun. And you know, the abs are far from done this off season. I guess, you know, it is late in the podcast, but it's a short one. We still got to get it in. Of course, that's Superbook Sports, guys. We're changing the game. Help your bets stay hot this summer at Superbook Sports, the most trusted name in sports gambling with a direct line to Vegas. And now, when you use the promo code MILEHIGH, you score up to $250 with their first bet bonus, win or lose. Superbook will match your first bet up to $250 with promo code MILEHIGH. Download the Superbook Sports app, enter promo code MILEHIGH, and you'll get $250 courtesy of Superbook Sports. Visit Superbook.com for terms and conditions. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-522-4700. Arif, did you get the chance to see the schedule that was released for the for the upcoming season in the Colorado Avalanche? I did, yeah. I have a couple thoughts on that. I just want to throw one more thing out on Victor Arvidsson that I just thought of. Is This is a guy that's around the same age as Gabe Landeskog. Is also Swedish. Has played with him on the national team before. Man, if you bring in someone like Arvidsson, even if in 12 months from now you have a healthy Gabe Landeskog, you know he's going to look at C-Mac and those guys and just say, hey, we got to keep him around. I want to play with this guy too. And then you have all sorts of options. Um, But again, pipe dream. We'll see what happens there. It's just something interesting to keep an eye on. Schedule, yes. I have taken a look at the schedule. There are a couple things that stick out to me about that. Okay. Oh, sorry. I thought you were going to take it from here. (laughs) Um, Okay, so two things that stick out to me about it. Number one, did you see how many back-to-backs there are? Yeah, absolutely. There's only eight of them. It It is tied for the least amount that the Avalanche have ever had in a season. But there's, and and that's something I just did. Uh, I did a quick uh, TV hit for uh, Channel 2 News that's going to air 
you know, Tuesday night. And that was something that they brought up is how great it is that they're only going to have eight back to backs. But I think even more crucial than that, did you happen to take a look at what the end of the season looks like? I haven't. I, or, I mean, I looked at it, but that I guess it that wasn't something that that drew my focus. Okay, so it drew my focus because the Avs already had a busy April last year before the rescheduled Nashville game. And then with that, I want to say they played a stretch of like 13 games in 23 days or something. Well, this time around, the Avs end the season four of five games at home, which already is great because you're only traveling once. April 7, home. April 9, home. April 13, home. So you got three days off. April 14, road game, back to back. April 18 home. So the one road game you're playing in those last five games is in Vegas at 1.30 p.m. after playing Winnipeg at 2 o'clock p.m., coming off of three days off. And then after that Vegas game, which is, a, again, Sunday, 1.30 p.m. start. So you're going to be back home and in your own bed if you're an Avalanche player by 6 or 7 p.m. Sunday night. Then you have Monday off, Tuesday off, and Wednesday off. You play the Edmonton Oilers Thursday night, and then you're probably going to have Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday off before the playoffs start. That end of season schedule, five games from April 7 to April 18, with three days off between games 81 and 82, is going to be massive for this team, especially if they have their spot already locked up by then. Like when they finish that road trip that ends at Edmonton April 5th, if they have their their playoff spot locked up and they know who they're going to play. Dude, those last five games over two weeks, you can mail it in rest guys and go into the playoffs with one of my favorite phrases from the 2022 playoffs. Rest is a weapon. It's not at a cost or it comes at a cost though, right? You look at the beginning of the schedule and two home games in the entire month of October. I think that's yeah. kind of interesting. Two out of eight, games that they'll be playing in that month and then of course i like how in december there's a good chunk of home games there for some home cooking during the holidays that'll be nice for the, for the abs i think to be home around that time you know darkest time of the year it's good to just be resting in bed but of course then they hit the road again after the all-star break so they'll have their last home game on january 6th then it hits the all-star break and then they won't have another home game until february 18th so a wow. full three weeks there that they'll essentially not be playing at ball arena. So, yeah. um, yeah, it, 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 some it comes, good, some good road trips, I think. Yeah. That, and those are, hope. those are always fun, but like last season, they only played three games at home in October. The difference is they had the opener at home and then they did a lot of road games. The big one for me, especially after these last three seasons, October and November have always been, well, not always, but these last two years have been so wonky because of those back-to-backs with Columbus 2021, November 2021, they thought they were going to go to Finland. They didn't. They still had those weird back-to-backs with breaks and you know before and after. 2022 November, they finally did go to Finland, and you know we've heard how much they complained about that coming back and how tough it was for the team to readjust. So, just not having that and having a solid flow of games in October and in November is already in itself going to be good for this team. And yeah, then and obviously, I and then obviously after the All Star break and all that as well. I don't know if the NHL is, is trying to do it, but it seems like the the road trips here kind of make more sense, maybe trying to take off some of the hefty mileage that comes with playing yeah. in the West and playing with Colorado especially. So, you know, I, I love I, this. I feel like it makes a lot of sense. 
I love the start of the season too. Again, I know that this means the middle is going to be crammed, but you know, how often do we hear players say in the middle of the season, you want to get into a routine. Isn't that not what they always say? Mm -hmm. You want to get into a routine. You want to play every other night. You want to, you want to get on a hot streak and go, 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 and then get your rest. But in the beginning of the season, it's the same thing. Three game road trip with two days off in between every game to start at Los Angeles on the 11th at San Jose on the 14th at Seattle on the 17th, the beauty of the 11th and 14th, dude, we just talked about the roster. It's going to be a lot of new fucking faces in that locker room. October 11, you play a home game at LA and then you got two days to hang out on the beach, you know, chit chat with one another, get to know your teammate next to you. And then you got another game on October 14 and then you got another two days off. So it's just, it's going to be a great, you know, what do they call it? Team bonding. It's a week long road trip and then come home, beat the shit out of the Chicago Blackhawks like you always do for your home opener. And then you got the Carolina Hurricanes and then it's right back on the road for three more. Like it's, it's a, it's a pretty good start in, in my opinion. And it's got that flow that we've missed the last two years because of the Columbus series. My last thought, I'm sure nobody cares, especially this is all so far away, but I look at the Florida road trip that they usually take, right? Typically they'll play Florida and then Tampa or vice versa in, in uh, you know, back-to-back games. Instead this year, they'll go, all in one road trip, mm. Rangers, New Jersey, Carolina, Florida, back up to Washington, and then, then to Tampa, Tampa Bay. Yeah, that's a weird one. I'm sure there's some building availability yeah. there that doesn't make them too happy. But Maybe a between, T-Swift concert or something. Yeah. <laughs> between, the, between the Florida and Washington game is two full days off and then one day off between Washington, Tampa. And then you come back from Tampa, two days off before you play that Sunday game against Arizona. So just a lot of breaks, not a lot of game travel game day off game travel game like it's it's not that same every other day cadence you do see that in december um i remember december last year was actually pretty much the exact same setup last year in december they played every single odd number game or odd number day except for the 25th so they played december one three five seven nine all the way to 23 and then 27 29 and 31 this year it's not as much they play 15 games instead of 16 but very similar you know 2 3 5 7 9 11 13 16 17 19 21 23 christmas same exact thing as last year 27 29 31 so that's your busy month this year you have one of them instead of like three alex newhook doesn't make his return until march 26th so farewell alex newhook we'll see you in mm. quite a long time yeah that's gonna be pretty close to the end of the year and uh We'll see who else, you know, because if JT Comfer, for example, not to date this podcast because it's going to change real quick over the next few days. But if he, for example, signs in Chicago, the Avalanche will see him for the home opener. No banner to raise this time like Jack Johnson got, but uh, just just an example. Like, I'm really curious to see Eric Johnson. Where is he going to go? Um, Evan Rodriguez, that's a player that we can talk about another time. I think they bring him back. If not, where does he go? There's just there's a lot of, you know, moving parts still. I'm pretty sure Alex Newhook told me he changes his skate laces every period. Yeah, he did. I remember that. So I wonder if I wonder, you know, if Kronky had something to do with that and said, "Man, we are spending a fortune on this guy's skate laces. JJ. Get him out of town. JJ. Get him out of here. These skate laces <laughs> are costing me too much money. Where 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 is he going to and play? And recycle the beer cups. <laughs> where is he going to play? Montreal? I give it till October 20th before we have a 1500 word article about him and his skates because of the amount of media in Montreal. <laughs> it's going to be fun. I'm excited to see him kind of uh, play. And he does, he does come off as a player with that kind of personality that wants to play in, in a big market. 
you know, he, he wants to, you know, he, he loves the bit, the spotlight is, I guess what I'm trying to say here. Um, and he's gonna, he's sure as hell going to get that in Montreal. Yeah. As long as he's playing well, right. I think he, he rides the, the confidence roller coaster heavily. He does. Yeah. Um, right on. Well, uh, that'll do it for today. We'll be back to uh, break down some of the draft and what shakes out and goes down there. Yeah. Also, one more thing. This is not a knock on Jared Bednar, but Alex Newhook playing for Marty St. Louis is going to do really good for him. Yeah. Man, they're getting small over there in Montreal. I want to yeah. see Newhook with, with Caulfield. I heard, uh, I heard Nick Kiprios um, today on his uh, radio show. Love Nick Kiprios. If you guys don't listen to his radio show, you should. Uh, he said, Alex Duhook went to Montreal. Oh, it makes sense. They have a five foot 10 limit. Nobody's taller than five ten on that <laughs> team. And, you know, Suzuki Caulfield. Now you got new hook there. Um, but yeah, him and, and the coaches four foot one. So <laughs> him playing, like I said, for Marty St. Louis is going to be fun. Well, all right. Thanks for hanging out with us today. Midweek. Hope you enjoy the middle of the week. Hope you're enjoying the nice weather here in Colorado. If you're not here in Colorado, hope you're enjoying your weather wherever you are so uh, if you made it this far in the podcast bless your pretty little heart let's make hockey for everyone we got you